now on Sports Day. Sport and the media with AFL Records senior writer Ash Brown. All thanks to Signet. Power every moment with a Signet power bank. Keep your devices powered this season. Visit Signet.com. He's powering through as well. Hasn't taken a holiday all year, I don't think, Ash Brown. He's with us live in the studio. Ash, thanks for stopping by as always. Uh, Kane, good to be here. Hello, Jared. Welcome back. Good to be back, uh, AB. What did you think of the Melbourne Cup yesterday? Most controversy-free Melbourne Cup, I yeah. think, for quite a long time. Just seemed to be a great... I mean, it wasn't there, but it looked like a great day. Weather was great. Terrific story. Uh, all the horses got through. Um, the Cup seemed to reclaim its its stature and its luster a bit, I would We needed it after a couple of years of COVID, and last year it wasn't, for whatever reason, uh, deemed to be a huge success, but... Uh, Hard to fault this one. Uh, 85,000 people on course. So, yeah, I think the uh, Race of Victoria would be really pleased. And they've taken such great steps, haven't they, to improve the welfare of the horses after so, after a few years where they just horses were being uh, put down, what have you. So uh, it just seemed to work. It t- seemed to take every box yesterday's Melbourne Cup. I spoke about this last night. And uh, sometimes it's hard to get a wrap in the TV wheel, particularly when you've been around as long as Eddie has. But he's first class. I mean, his performance yesterday with his team, and it was a really good team. I thought Channel 10 did a fantastic job in their final entree, their final uh, showing at the Melbourne Cup. I'm not sure what Eddie will do with Channel 9 next year if he gets it, but uh, it's pretty hard to find a better front man. I thought Eddie did a super job. I thought the coverage, I, I tuned for sort of about half hour, 40 minutes before and after the race, and I thought Channel 10's coverage was yep. excellent. Yep. And as a, sometimes I'm not a racing person really, but uh, I thought that the coverage was great, the analysis was good. Eddie did a super job. Eddie's work sort of immediately pre and post race yep. was fantastic. And that's what we forget with all the package and all the hoo-ha around Eddie sometimes. In that situation, just as a, world as class. a broadcaster journalist, he really is world class. i got to say, Kane, uh, you weren't here last night. You were uh, no. busy punting, I uh, believe, <laughs> on the it. cup. But I made the point, I think for the first time in the history of Australian TV, and I'm happy to be challenged on this and I'm happy to be proven <laughs> incorrect, but I don't think I have ever seen the same personality holding court on two free-to-air channels at once. <laughs> he was covering the he was covering um, the Channel Ten coverage, obviously, and he was also hosting his normal show on Channel Nine. No, there was another one yesterday. Emma Friedman was being was on Channel Seven doing some sort of pre-record with the jockeys yep. at the, around the same time as the as the race jumped at uh, Flemington, and then she was interviewed afterwards as the cousin or whatever she is of the of Sam Friedman. So, not quite the same as day. hosting. Not quite the same <laughs> as hosting. Uh, he's probably the only one that can do it, isn't he, Ash? Like, who else oh. would have that status to be able to do that? He did it at uh, Channel Nine and at Fox Footy as well, didn't he? Work. For, oh, he for did both it. With... He did that, but they're different beasts, yeah. given that one's free to wear and one's not free to wear. But uh, it's never happened in free to wear before. Where a, I mean, Eddie was the number one station personality. In fact, he was general manager of Channel Nine for a period of time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but then to be, you know, a lead personality at Channel Ten, albeit uh, as a temporary position. I, I thought uh, they did a terrific job. So, well, and I noticed the ratings were up too. Yeah, Matt Hill goes across. He's on all the stations. Whoever's got the rights, yeah. he calls the race. But no, Eddie, uh, I call him Eddie everywhere. That was the name for a long time, and it's, it's back in vogue. Yeah, what he does, he, he hypes up whatever sport he is covering. Yeah. And I th- thought the way he adds the colour and the positivity to it, and he makes it an event, and he talks up the footy when he's calling, and he talks up the horse racing when he's doing it. He does the same for Millionaire Hot Seat and Footy Classified. He builds the energy and the excitement. And I'm with you. I, I watched it yesterday from home a million miles away, and I thought he did an outstanding job. Michelle Payne's a star as yeah, well. Yeah, she did I, well. I loved, her, I loved her analysis I thought, as well. I thought the boss did terrific. really well too. 
Yeah. All right, Ash, we'll move on because we've spoken to Brett Phillips already this evening about an emerging tennis story and the Saudis muscling in on our summer of tennis, which could be quite disruptive. Well, it's a bit, really big story. Uh, this, I mean, Tennis Australia has done so much to build up the circuit around the Australian Open and then for the, the possibility of a, a Saudi Masters event finishing you know, only a week or so before the Australian Open is a pretty big deal. I noticed the, uh, Peter Johnson, friend of yours, ours and, and the program, said we really shouldn't worry about it too much. The, the, the two weeks of the Grand Slam are sacrosanct, and maybe for a country mm. like Australia, just to have a Grand Slam is something we should cherish. And if a couple of things fall by the wayside because of the Saudi event, it's not the end of the world. But uh, it'd be pretty disappointing. I think we're you know, a country that supports that summer of tennis. And I think there'll be particularly in some of the other cities. I mean, Mel- here we are, Melbourne, it's not going to be a problem. But Sydney, Perth, Brisbane, Adelaide are the ones who possibly stand to lose out of uh, So does Tennis Australia, happening. though, because they have invested heavily into the United Cup. I mean, I think they're a shareholder in the United Cup. It's a big test for the athletes themselves, the tennis players, mm. came because they bought into the United Cup. They all gave it a huge rap. Uh, but then there is this incredible lure of the Saudi dollar that will test their beliefs in what, what the United Cup does for them. Well, I haven't told you this, Jerry, but Tanasi Kokonakis is going to join us tomorrow night. So he'd be, he'd be the perfect person to ask because he has been and played in the Adelaide tournament here and, and all the build-up events to yep. his home Australian Open. So to ask the question whether he will be lured by the dollars will be something we'll have to put to him uh, tomorrow night. But it, but it is a shame, but it's something, Ash, that uh, every sport is dealing with. The soccer, the Saudi money yep. has targeted you know, the biggest names in soccer including Ronaldo. I mean, how could you turn your back on that? We're seeing the World Cup in 2032. It's going there because they've got the most cash. So uh, we've seen what's happened in golf. Uh, it's it's happening and it's going to continue to happen. Yeah, it's tennis's latest one to, to confront that. They they will want to be a big part of the sport. I mean, you know, between, we've, always, we've always been a bit worried about China having designs on the Australian Open Grand Slam. That was a talk that uh, tennis people had for a long time and the worry but the Saudis uh, are now going for tennis in a big way as well. But it's great for the players. I mean, the players will be thrilled about it because the purses will be incredible. But um, yeah, Tennis Australia and, and all Channel 9 who have invested, I mean, I think the, their investment in tennis is largely built around the Australian Open and that would be 95% of the rights fees I think they pay to Tennis Australia. But it's, it's programming for Channel 9 for several weeks over the summer in the lead-up to the tennis as well. If you had $20 million on the line for the uh, Saudi money, Kane, and they uh, moved the tournament back to clash with the Australian Open. How much support do you think uh, the Australian Open would get if every person that turned up, like the Live Golf, got 20 mil? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that. Not, not a lot, I wouldn't have thought. What do you think? Look, it's a real challenge. I, I would instinctively say they'd still want to play in the Australian Open, but, but you know, 80% of the players can't win the Australian Open. Well, and, and 80% of the players, maybe a fraction less don't earn a significant living from tennis. We hear about the top 50 yeah. and they all make good living, but if you're outside, and John Millman's been big on this, if you're outside the top 100, yeah. you, you're not cleaning up. Like, But the Saudis uh, aren't interested in them. They want the top 50. I know. So uh, I, I understand that's where the challenge that, is going to be for they're tennis. Gonna have, yeah, they're going to have to have someone to play against. Nick Kyrgios flagged this six months ago. He said, mm. we're not paid enough. And he was talking Saudi money then. So clearly it's been on the radar. All right, Ash, we'll move on. What's caught your attention in the world of NFL? Well, Peter King, who's the uh, he's like the, the Mike Sheehan, I guess, of uh, NFL journalists, and he does a brilliant column every Monday of the uh, football morning in America. 
He is, uh, and he's been in Germany for the game that was played there, the Chiefs Dolphins game the weekend, and he was talking to the NFL international people, and he laid out a plan for a game to be played in Australia and how it could potentially work. The issue's always been coming to Australia in the middle of a season would be too taxing for the players. He flagged the idea of two teams playing their first game of the season uh, in Australia and mm. being played on, say, a uh, Friday or a Saturday lunchtime, our time, which would then be prime time in, in the United States. So his flag, the weekend, I worked it out, would be the, be, it'd be the first weekend of the AFL finals. So we would all, I mean, I know you and I came, we're both NFL mm. addicts. We would love to see a, a regular season game here. But I'm wondering whether how the AFL and the NRL would feel about a game here on the opening weekend of their finals and the venues. I mean, State of Australia, would be, oh, venues say, would venue be a big would be problem, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you would, you would have to play it on the MCG, I would have thought, but it wouldn't be a great spectacle, I don't think, the NFL on the MCG. Albeit, we've had some big soccer games, so similar dimensions, of course, with the, the, NRL with the rectangle. Care. They're playing their first yeah. game over in Vegas anyway. Yeah, it would probably work in Sydney because I think the, the state, of course, stadium would probably work and they yeah. would, it's the right configuration. It's a shame for Melbourne, though, Kane, if you know we couldn't get an NFL game because it clashes with the AFL final, which is our, obviously our biggest month of the year. But uh, do you think it would work? Do you think the AFL and the NRL will try and work with the NFL to, to make it happen? I think they, I think they would. It would be too big of an opportunity, tourism-wise, to say no to. I um, mean, they're pretty flexible. We've got enough grounds. We can turn things around pretty quickly. We've seen that with concerts. So I would think, with the audience tuning in from America and the benefits that that gives to us, we've seen that in the World Cup. It would have, they'd have to put their hand up. For Why it. wouldn't we just play it in the week before the finals, when there's a when there's a buy? Well, you have to convince the two teams to play the start of the season a week early, then come back and have uh, two weeks before their next game. But everything's possible, but um, what a wonderful thing it would be. I would encourage Melbourne major mm. events, whoever runs it these days, to be pushing that really hard. It would be the Yeah, well, the they've invested thing. heavily in London. There's a few games there a year, now Germany. Um, it feels like there's enough of a um, thirst for it in Australia for, for that to happen. And the conditions would be, I was going to say, if it was now, it'd be too hot in the middle of the day for the players to come from their winter to... Yeah. Yeah, the in, into our summer, but at that time of the year, the conditions should be should be pretty good. Uh, I have been reading the Herald Sun, and there's a sort of a new segment in the off season called the List Manager. Terry Wallace has retired. I thought he was the list manager. Mm, yes. Well, John Ralph, congratulations, John. I don't know whether he's been whether Terry's sort of there was a handover, or whether after two years it at the can't time be a handover. The Plows <laughs> Guernsey should be hanging from the rafters somewhere. We should have retired his, his Guernsey, surely. Well, we have a new list manager, whether he's self-appointed or officially appointed, but John Ralph, it's actually a pretty good series. He lays out the the list scenarios for every team. I, I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm finding them quite useful. You can useful. tell which club um, he's got a direct line to, though, and which club wants a positive spin placed upon <laughs> their club. Like, I've, Name I've clubs. Some, well, Richmond. He's got, he must well, have he a direct line. I, I've heard that uh, him say that... Naismith is the perfect replacement for Ivan Solda. I mean, anyone could have got Naismith. And he's saying if Nan Curvis can play 23 games. Nan Curvis hasn't played 23. You think he's played 20 games once in his whole career. He's speaking about Uze fixing Taranto's kicking, I feel like saying. There's only so much a head coach can do with a player's kicking. So there was a very positive uh, spin on, on the Tigers. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't mind it as well. In the off-season, there's a nice little niche for it. And uh, you've got some time to explore each club's list. Yeah, I think he's, as I said, I think he's done a super job with it and sort of leads into the next thing, which is sort of pre-season stars next week, Kane. The, the first of four-year players They're back, are they? back. So we're entering the season of, um, of uh, players. Time trials. 
Skinfold, time trials, and fresh yeah. starts. We're going to get players in the because a lot of the players have been away. So even the ones who've been traded largely haven't done any media yet. So the next couple of weeks is all about seeing players in their new polos and their new singlets for the first time and expect it's membership season as well. So the see, the selling, the hope season of football starts next week. Are the, are the time clocks out these days, Kane, or is it more skill-based stuff? No, I think they'll have one or two time trials just yep. to get a baseline, but largely a lot of the running is done in drills and that's the way the players yep. prefer it. But you, I think you still got to have a baseline. You come back, 2K time trial, where do you sit? Where do you sit before Christmas? Where do you sit post? And then you get on with the footy stuff. But I think it's always a good indicator for me of, of how much you've enjoyed yourself um, over the off-season. I was talking to a young bloke uh, on the radio last night. The, the furthest he's running is um, 400 k's. What was his name? Wilson, wasn't it? Yep. Uh, he's going to go pick 20 or thereabouts. I think there's still something to be said, Kane, for the mental... Uh, test? The mental test, the mental struggle of mm. dealing with a 10k run. Yeah, no, there, there absolutely is. I saw um, Jared Berry from Brisbane. He's yeah. running a marathon this weekend. Just, uh, now he's doing that for a cause that's close to his heart. He's, his mother passed away from cancer when he was 13, yep. so he's doing it to raise money for her. But I thought, good on you. Like Clubs would not advise him to do that because yep. of the risk of getting injured and a sort of a stress fracture in his foot. But to apply yourself to something and to get it done, the resilience that's required. I mean, that's why we used to go on torturous pre-season camps. Jerry didn't mm. take a footy. Yeah, yep. It was all about... Testing yourself, teamwork, how hard can you push? Mm. And largely at the, the draft camp, clubs don't really care the number. They just want to see players dig yeah. in when it gets hard. So I think you're right on that. Of course, Kane, you being of old school, but you are, you uh, thought yeah, I should, am. that should come I, back I put a my hand ago. up for that. <laughs> well, well I, put, I put my hand up. They, yeah. they have too much time off. Like across the board, 20 weeks off is is far too much and does lend itself to players getting themselves into a bit of bit of trouble. So the discipline to come back and train and get yourself back into routine, I, I like particularly for for the young ones. And then we've got the draft coming up. What will that be next? The week the, after week next. Week after next. Yeah. How do you keep the players? I mean, the season's still a long way away. How do you keep? Although it's, you know, it's being brought forward every it's year, a, but how I do you keep them the motivated? Best, for, it's the for, best time of year. Like you got you got to drill down on your game plan. You got to work out which way you want to play. You got to explain that to the players. That takes longer than a couple of weeks. And then you don't have the pressure of getting a kick on the weekend. You don't have the pressure of winning or losing. The coach is in a good mood because. He doesn't have the scrutiny on him because there's no win-loss count. It's magnificent. It's summer. You're fit. You're tanned. You're bulked. Like, it's just, you get the weekends off. I just, I loved it. I'll tell you what else you can do. You can actually get a post and you can say, okay, I want you to hit that five times with your right foot. Now I want you to hit it five times to your left. You can bring out the old stationary handball target. Okay, who can get, who can get 65 at a 70? Who, who can get 65 out of 70 with their left hand? I mean, train mm. the skills. We keep always carrying on about goal kicking, and yet the summer is the perfect opportunity to develop. I'm, I was running with a father of a young bloke who's about to be drafted in the next 20, in the uh, in the next couple of weeks, and he's concerned about how much free time they've got. They leave school, and they sit on their mm. tut for uh, two mm. months at the end of a footy season. And then you chuck them back in and you want the, that intensity to pick up mm. straight away. So, and, and clubs are frustrated by this. I don't, don't suspect it's going to change. 
and perhaps players are, are getting better at handling it. We've seen what Essendon have done with their overseas camp and a lot of players taking it seriously, but some some still don't. Uh, are the fixture leaks going to start next week, are they, Ash, before the uh, official fixture is it's already released? already started, haven't yeah, they? Well, yeah. more or less, but the official leaks will come out. They'll, they'll tease the round official one. Leaks. They'll, te- they'll <laughs> tease round zero, or whatever they're calling it. They'll tease... That's been done. They'll tease... Uh, you know, How much will Adelaide get looked after? So I'm gonna, my, my eyes uh. are going to be diverted straight to the Crows after they got stitched up against Sydney with that goal review. They've put in a lot of requests. They want some prime time action. They don't want to be going to the off-Broadway grounds. Are they going to be looked after, you think? Well, I think they've probably earned a couple more primetime games than they've yeah, already good got. Watch. So John Olsen, I mean, I've written their profile for the season guide, and I said John Olsen's starting to make a bit of noise now. He's been pretty quiet as Crows chairman for a few years, came, but I think but the combination of the goal umpire snafu last year and their draw... Is, uh, he's starting to be a bit more outspoken, so I'm, I'm expecting a major dummy spit from him if they don't get looked after, but I suspect they will. What it does do, though, it does put a little bit of pressure on Jared. It doesn't, I mean, there's going to yeah. be a bit of pressure on Adelaide anyway, but when you're on the primetime stage, no one misses you, so you, you want to back that up with performance. Yeah, they've been really exciting at various stages last year, but they fell just a little bit short. We understand they would have, get, would have got in had the uh, goal umpire drama not happened, but... When they're, uh, they should be going with a bullet. They shouldn't be trying to make the eight. They should be trying to make the top six or top four next year. Yep. Have they done enough over the preseason, Kane? They've missed a couple. Well, they, they were they looking missed, for. They had a crack hard at uh, Petty, yep. and that was the one. Harrison Petty, and then uh, Clayton Oliver just put their feelers out, dipped yep. their toe in the water. So they they were in the game. Yep. They wanted to be involved. And they couldn't quite get the big one. So what they have done, they've bolstered their draft hand. I think it's 10 and 14. They're looking to get inside the top 10, perhaps targeting Geelong's pick eight. And if they can do that and bring another top 10 player in, yep. they're in a good spot. You'd, you'd worry probably that they're one explosive midfielder short and yes. perhaps one yeah. key defender with the, a couple of injuries that they've got. Uh, let's move on to your luck of the week, uh, Ash. And it was this from our man, Ange Postacoglu. Do you think... Uh that the Premier League managers should get together through the LMA and try and teach referees how to referee a game? See, that's the problem. That's the problem. Premier League managers should just manage their football clubs. I've never, and I never will, talk to a referee about the rules of the game. I was taught that you grow up and you respect the officials. You know what managers do? I'll tell you what managers do, me included. We try and find ways to bend the rules, to get around them. Tell me what the rule is, and I guarantee you'll have a room full of managers processing how can I get around this. They're not the, we're not the right people. And I get that people keep saying that. I don't agree with it. What I want is the best officials, always being upskilled to officiate the game. But I, I, I think it's so hard for a referee to, to, to officiate these days. Their, their authority is just constantly getting diminished. He's in good form, Ange. He's, that was a brilliant grab. Another one we could have played was, you know, he talked about he was down to nine men and his approach to the game. And yep. He said something like, I would have still attacked if we were down to five. Yeah, a couple of people criticised him for that, said he was naive. It was a former manager. I don't know his name. I can't remember. But uh, I think he's going to keep on playing the way he plays. And that's, uh, as you've just said, He's such yeah, a breath the, on, of fresh air, isn't he? Mm. He is. On, on, it's on the back of the Arsenal statement. Yep. They, they released a statement having a crack at, uh, having a crack at that. It was pretty... Uh, pretty poor, I thought. So the, the contrast in that, as you said, was was spot on. What about your dislike of the week? Dislike was um, a couple out of the Melbourne Cup now, The um, also the Shastri. The, so the Age ran a headline about three po- horses pulling up lame, which was 
real sort of clickbait behaviour. Because was, was that false? Well, horses pulling up lame is a bit like footballers getting a bruise after a game. I mean, it's different to horses. But yeah. Yeah, there's such concern over the welfare of horses, and uh, they weren't. Uh, they, 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 the green tarp didn't come out, did it? No. So I think it was a bit of headline grabbing from the age. And Damien Ratcliffe, who's their outgoing racing rider, sort of had to write a post explaining this point that a horse pulling up lame yep. is just no more than is the same as a football, like getting a bruise after a game. But uh, yeah, I think the age is playing to its old, trying to play to both audiences. I think they're a bit. There's obviously a sizable audience out there who are very concerned about horse racing and uh, the. the what it can inflict on horses. But as we said earlier, at the top of the segment, it was a really well-run Melbourne Cup. I was talking to a really well-respected uh, racing person two days ago, and he was concerned that racing has lost a bit of cut-through for the wider public, A, because of gambling, and B, because of welfare. Now, record ratings yesterday, 85,000 people there, you could certainly put that up as, no, no, that's not right. But on a broader sense, is he right? I don't think it is what it used to be. I mean, really, I think it's a it's a one, it's a 10-day sport racing, really. Mm. I mean, there's a Caulfield Cup and Cox played a little bit, but no, it's, I think that's right to a large degree. It, it, racing used to be a big part. It was, when we were kids, Gerald was footy and cricket racing. I mean... Oh, the big three. I missed the third bit of that uh, <laughs> trifecta. Mm, no, Old man used to uh, <laughs> work for the TAB, set the TV That's up in Darwin. So it just sort of just didn't quite uh, permeate through the DNA, that one. <laughs> uh, before you go, Ash, uh, you like to do this. Now on Sports Day, it's time for the all-powerful, all-conquering Shastri Files. Is that fair? Oh, that bullshit. If I'm the editor of news.com.au and I'm the journalist, I'll be ashamed to have to write the story yesterday. They made a whole story out of people complaining on social media that they didn't know the races were on Channel 10. <laughs> I've right? got that in front of me now. <laughs> Aussies missed Melbourne Cup. They slammed <laughs> Channel 7. How's it Channel 7's fault? It's, it's quite incredible that people can't... made a story out of people who can't read a TV guide. Yeah, look, I, I'm a bit with you. On, on a general sense, I find it very alarming how many stories are made out of two... Dickhead tweets. <laughs> Channel well, 7 is under tweets. fire over sneaky move to ignore the <laughs> Melbourne Cup. How does yeah. a tweet generate a story? It's just I mean, if it was coming from the Prime Minister or it was coming from the head of the <laughs> AFL or the VFL or the NFL, uh, fair yeah. enough. But if it's coming from, you know, Joe Blow, yeah. well, it's, that's... it's hard to justify it. I mean, there was a couple that were bagging uh, Delta Goodrum. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, it might have been two out of 4,000 that actually yeah, loved she it. She was good, too. Yeah, yeah. she got the vote. It's yeah. a decline of journalism, things like that. So, mate, it's, the old, it's a grumpy old journal in me. Sorry, boys. No, nah, fair enough, fair enough. Cause, uh, and it got me. It uh, forced me to click on that story, unfortunately. Uh, Ash, there's a big picture of Bruce McAvaney saying Aussies miss Melbourne Cup entirely after the same mistake with Channel 7. Hardly, hardly their fault. Uh, lovely, lovely work from you. We'll, we'll do it all again next week. Look forward to it.